0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Why don't you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one this morning. My simple prayer this morning is that the Lord would open up our eyes and he'd open up our spiritual eyes. There's the eyes of our heart that see, that peer into the purposes of eternity. It's open through the person of Jesus. And my prayer is that the eyes of our heart would be opened. So that I've been praying all week. It's my prayer, and I'm going to minister that over you this morning as well, is that the eyes of your heart would be opened. So I shared this context briefly last week, but this last April, the Lord really got a hold of my heart. In Matthew 25, this parable A lot of your Bibles will will title this parable the parable of the 10 virgins, but this imagery in Matthew 25 is comparing Christ, our king, to a bridegroom that's returning for his wedding party. It's returning for these bridesmaids. And so in this parable, this story that Jesus tells, he gives this imagery of like there being these two camps within the bridal party, those that are foolish and those that are wise. The wise are these ones who are ready for the return of the bridegroom. The foolish are these ones who begin to make excuses, who begin to kind of get lazy and apathetic, maybe even doubtful about his return. And therefore they are, they, they are found foolish in the eyes of the bridegroom when he returns. And when, they're, when the bridegroom comes, they're, they're stumbling around. They're trying to prepare themselves last, last second, but it's too late. This urgency began to strike my heart this last April. This urgency that the the time is accelerating. And I'm not making a prediction of anything. I'm saying for this house, for our church, the time is now. And we need to begin to prepare ourselves for what the Lord wants to do. He's calling us into this this camp of, of wise ones that'll have ready hearts for him, that'll be attentive to what he's doing, that will be ready when he comes in his glory. I'm not just saying in, in terms of his second coming, obviously. May we be ready when he comes in his second, in his second coming, that, that day of, the, the scripture calls the day of terror. May we be ready, but I'm saying even in these even more um, smaller visitations to this house, may we be ready. And I feel like there's this acceleration happening. If that's uncomfortable for you, I'm sorry. But this is an invitation. And Ephesians 1 is a, a gospel invitation to that sort of readiness, that sort of eyes wide open attentiveness to what the Lord is doing. And the Lord's calling us there. I've been really calling us as a church family to the place of prayer. It is uh, my biggest burden in this hour for us to be a people of prayer. And I know many people get glossy-eyed when I start talking about prayer. Their kind of eyes, uh, I can see it in their eyes. They're saying, Pastor Drew's not talking to me. I'm not a prayer. I'm a doer, I'm a whatever. I'll serve in other ways, but I'm not a prayer. I'm telling you, you are a prayer. If you're if you're a child of God, if you are a, a Jesus person, you are a prayer. And God's calling you right now to be a part of this house of prayer. I'm not saying it, it means the same as, as your neighbor, but... As you look into the book of Acts, the early church, you don't see a whole lot of programs, you don't see a lot of complex institutions. You see a people devoting themselves to prayer, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship. It really is that simple. And so the more and more we neglect prayer, the more we're neg- neglecting the heart of God, the more we're neglecting the real breakthrough that God wants to bring in this city, in this region. So prayer is how it's gonna happen. So I unapologetically call us to prayer. I call us to be a people of prayer that starts in the secret place, meaning your own individual prayer lives, but it also means us collectively. There is something the Lord is unleashing for us in corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is the place that mountains shake, mountains move, earth, or earth shakes, rooms shake because of a people coming together for a bigger assignment, for something bigger than themselves individually. So I unapologetically call us to the place of prayer, and prayer matters. Prayer is where the, anything that we do of fruitfulness as a church family is gonna come through the place of prayer. Just last week, my little seven-year-old daughter came up to me beaming. She had gotten baptized the week prior, but she came up beaming because her warts were healed downstairs at the Kids Point. And I'm not talking about just, yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, Miss Amanda was there. <laughs> I'm not just talking about a, a wart, uh, on her elbow or something. I'm, I'm saying they were, these were painful warts that started forming along her uh, cuticle on her, on her finger and the, and the doctors couldn't uh, burn them off like other warts. So there was no answer for them. Jesus is the answer. They caused her so much pain and, and, and as her friends prayed for her, she was just undone. As She looked down and the warts were gone on her fingers. That happens through prayer. The week prior, midweek prayer, we were praying for breakthrough and divine healing. So you can say, oh, that's happenstance, that's circumstantial. I say, that's, the, that's what prayer does, that's the power of prayer. We pray and God moves. That's the mystery of the Lord working with his people, co-laboring with us. And so everything that we do of significance, eternal significance of real purpose is gonna come through prayer. We can fool ourselves with something otherwise, and the church does it. We busy ourselves, I've done it so many times. I busy myself with all these things, and then I say, oh, look at all this stuff I've done. And it's all just a house of cards. It's all hay and stubble, as, he, as Paul says. It's not the precious stuff that really matters. So if we're gonna go after something significant, I'm, I'm calling us to the place of prayer, and I believe the Lord's gonna catalyze that in our hearts this morning in Ephesians one. This is a book that our life group went through this last school year, and it was so beautiful for us to work through that together as a, as a life group, Ephesians one. The Lord's gonna open our eyes this morning I'm going to minister this to our hearts this morning. I believe Jesus is the cure for our spiritual boredom. He is the cure for the, the pain of the trials and the tribulations that we face. Both of those things. He is the, he is the answer. Uh, it being summer, I recently had this memory as a child of sitting on the front stoop of my house later in the summer days and having, this is one of my first memories of having that feeling of boredom. Sitting on the front stoop, you call it the dog days of summer, where finally you're, you're saying, I think I'm bored. I don't know what to do with myself. The unfortunate truth that every kid has to, to come across at some point in their life is they need to realize that boredom is a choice. Right? They need to realize that they're, they're bored because they themselves are boring. That's an, an uncomfortable truth, but it's, it's, it's the reality of life. The, in, in a spiritual sense, the Lord is opening our eyes to that same reality. If in our spiritual walk with the Lord, we are bored, the problem is not in the Lord. I'm, I'm just, you're going to see that here in Ephesians 1. He is matchless, beyond understanding, beyond comprehension. And he wants to open our eyes and cure us of our spiritual boredom. In a similar but a little different way, you know, life is filled with difficulties, it's filled with tribulations. Actually, Jesus gives us that promise. He says, this peace I give you, uh, in this world you will have tribulations. That's a promise you can claim. Um, You're going to have tribulations. But it's just a reality of this cosmic battle that we are in until our blessed hope returns. And so we will have trials and tribulations. And we can sit and um, steep in our self-pity and um, circumstances or... We can find strength by lifting up our eyes to the Lord and seeing our reward. And being fueled by by him, being fueled by him in the midst of our difficulties. So whether it be boredom, or whether it be trials and tribulations, the answer is very similar. It's looking up, finding our reward in the Lord, and him catalyzing something. It's called revival. It's called awakening in our hearts for the Lord. Uh, as I recently took a trip through the Grand Canyon with my son, 32 miles, grueling miles—the most uh, grueling 32 miles of my life. 8,000 feet of um, elevation gain. Um, every step was difficult. I have a 40-pound pack on my on my back. We were on unmaintained trails in the backcountry. There were no humans for four days. It was just us. Uh, only water that we filtered from the Colorado. Every step seemed like a chore every step seemed was painstaking every every step was grueling in a sense and I would make it a point for both me and my son to stop at times and look up because that was our reward our reward wasn't in the painful steps because we're not um you know we're, we're not, we we do not revel in the pain of it we don't revel in the the difficulty we revel in the reward of what we get to see of what we get to partake that and others, others don't get to partake in. We look up and we see our reward, and I would say that often, stop, let's just take in our reward for this. Our reward is all around us. So it is in our walk for Christ. He, he is, he is, he's a good father. He's not a twisted father that just loves to watch his kids suffer in pain and hurt and loneliness. No, he's a good father and he gives us a reward as we look up and we see him for who he is. So let's look at Ephesians 1. He's gonna open our eyes this morning. Uh, Verse three, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So the God of the cosmos, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, before the foundation of anything was put into motion, he chose us. He was gonna make a way to be in covenant relationship with the people. He chose us to be blameless, to be holy, In him, let that just blow your mind for a moment. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons, not as peons, not as peasants or servants in a kingdom, but adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, so there is no room for pity parties or uh, low view of life or self in Christ. We are blessed. It says five times there that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in in the heavenly realms. He has blessed us in the beloved. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So all meaning and purpose and the will of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ, both his death, his resurrection, the sending of the spirit of Jesus, because of the ascension of Christ, all that is fulfilled in him. Verse 11, and there's so much I could share on all that, but I want to get uh, to verses 18 and 19, because that's where we're gonna spend our time this morning. In him we have obtained an inheritance, Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the the grand, majestic, divinely inspired, Holy Spirit inspired reminder of who you are in Christ what was accomplished, in, uh, in, accomplished through the cross, through the work of Jesus. This is that divine reminder. You are adopted as sons, you are forgiven from trespasses, you are chosen in Him before the foundations of the world. You are holy, you are blameless, This is who you are, this is the door that was opened up because of the work of Christ. So there's a sense that this is past tense. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are born again, Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. This is what has taken place, this is the transaction. And I I have to be reminded of this, I believe you have to be reminded of this as well, and Paul is doing that here. He is like beaming with praise to the Lord because of what has happened, what has transpired in the heavenlies, through the work of Christ, in people's lives, real people's lives, your lives, my life, these people here in ancient Ephesus, to the praise of his glory, verse 14 said. Okay, so here we get to where where I wanna be this morning. I'm gonna invite Tony actually to the keys because I wanna minister this to you this morning. It says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints. Because, so because of what has transpired, because of the born again experience that I know you've been grafted into, because I know you've been adopted as sons and daughters and you're holy and chosen, all those things. I do not cease, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might crescendoing faith in Paul's heart, you can sense in the the inspired scripture here, of, of prayerful expectation that for these believers in Ephesus, they are gonna step into a realm of lived reality of the gospel, that the eyes of the heart will be opened, that what Christ has done wouldn't just be a thing of the past, but it would be a living reality now He says, because of what you've experienced, this is what I pray for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened, would be enlightened. It's like your eyes are dimmed by disease or by sleepiness, and all of a sudden, the light of Christ shines upon you, and you see clearly. You can finally see things the way they're supposed to be. The eyes of your heart are enlightened. To see what? He says three things specifically. To see the hope that we have in Christ, to see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and thirdly, to see the power for those that believe. So I wanna unpack that, and I wanna minister that to our hearts. I'm going to minister this to you because this has been my brewing, I believe even urgent prayer for us. We are at a crossroads, I believe, as a a church. To either kind of slip into the metaphorical dog days of summer spiritually for our church family. Or like, oh, is this it? I'm bored. Not realizing that we ourselves are the problem. We ourselves are the boring ones. And we're not being captured again by the Lord. Or people face tribulations, trials, disappointment, betrayal, loneliness, the difficulties of life. And they just get beaten down. And they forget to look up and see the reward. They, they forget to allow the eyes of their heart to be enlightened, enlightened again. To see the hope, the riches, and the power of God once again. This is the great invitation and I'm gonna minister it to your heart. His first prayer is that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to know what is the hope to which he has called you. Hope. Jesus, our blessed hope. As we sang earlier, our living hope. That means there is a hope tangibly right now that you can have in Christ. Scripture calls him our future hope. There's actually something within um, human design where we need to have something to be looking forward to. We're meant for that. We actually fall into great despair Great hopelessness, soul-crushing hopelessness, if we don't have something to look forward to. So, on a really superficial level, you know, we have things that we look forward to in our lives. We have a trip that we're excited about, or we have a celebration coming up. We had 40-year anniversary yesterday. We celebrated for Steve and Donna. We have these uh, celebrations and markers in life that we look forward to. But on such greater scale, such a grander scale. Christ is meant to be. That great thing, that great one that we are looking forward to. And so there is not a single human being in this place that doesn't have a reason to wake up tomorrow morning with this sense of hopeful expectation. That Christ is what I have to look forward to. And Monday is no longer a mundane Monday. Monday is this sense of tangible, palpable, you can sense it in the air, hope. So it doesn't matter if you're younger and, and the future seems daunting. Christ is your hope. The future feels overwhelming. Christ is your hope. doesn't mean if you're later in years and you feel like your best days are behind you. That's a lie. Christ is your blessed hope. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.